This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Kanata, joined by co-hosts Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Kanata, joined by Aaron Sutton and Josh Houts and the Miami Dolphins coming off a 13-6 victory over the New York Jets, moving a 5-4 on the season. Jets falling a 3-6, and six, and Miami Dolphins sweeping the Jets this season, just the third time in the last decade, believe it or not. But the Dolphins now headed to Green Bay. We're not going to talk about the Packers in this episode. That's coming later this week. But we have a lot to talk about in terms of the recap from the Jets game. Dolphins offense didn't play well at all. Dolphins defense played lights out. Or was it the Jets offense? We'll kind of dive into that. Brock Osweiler, 15 of 24 for 139 yards. Frank Gore getting the bulk of the carries. 20 carries for 53 yards. Kenyon Drake, only three carries for nine yards. Guess what? You know who had as many carries as Kenyon Drake did? Brock Osweiler. That is just a travesty. We'll get into why Kenyon Drake isn't getting the carries that we think he should be getting. Danny Imendola, the leading receiver, five receptions, 47 yards. But there you have a Kenyon Drake right behind him. Four receptions, 26 yards, which is, again, another travesty considering Drake is a running back. Kenny Stills, the next receiver in line, one reception, 19 yards. Devontae Parker, one reception, eight yards. This offense is an absolute mess. TJ McDonald, leading tackler, eight tackles, one assisted. Kiko Alonso, four tackles, one interception. Adding interceptions, Jerome Baker, TJ McDonald, Walt Aikens. Four total on a day for the Dolphins' defense. A lot to discuss, a lot to go over, but the biggest storyline is Rashad Jones 
and the fact that he pulled himself out of the game against the New York Jets beginning with the third defensive series of the game, which is right about when the second quarter began. I was a credentialed member of the media thanks to the Miami Dolphins organization, the FinsiderRadio.com, not FinsiderRadio.com, sorry, fin, the FinSider.com, and me representing Finsider Radio has had several opportunities this season to go down to Miami to serve as a credentialed media member of the game. And we're sitting in the press box, and we noticed, I noticed, that Rashad Jones is not on the field. I get out my binoculars, I start scanning the sideline, I start relaying it down to other people in the press box that Rashad Jones is not in the game. And that was the talk for the rest of the game after the game was what's going on with Rashad Jones. One of the reporters went to the Dolphins PR team and asked, is there any official injury update on Rashad? And they said, no, there's no injury, nothing. We don't have anything on it. We don't know what's going on, basically. We were trying to figure it out. Everyone at home was trying to figure out. The CBS broadcast was saying that it was confirming that it was not injury-related, that he was pulled out of the game. Some were speculating bench. Some were speculating injury. I was scanning the sideline with my binoculars, looking at the interaction between Rashad Jones and the coaches and the players. I first noticed Rashad talking to assistant head coach Sean Jefferson. Uh, animated discussion there. He then sat on the bench. Matt Burke came over. They had a professional, yet animated discussion. Nothing confrontational, nothing crazy. No screaming, no yelling, just man-to-man talking. It seemed to end pretty well. Matt Burke uh, patted him on the shoulder pads, and then Matt Burke went on his way. From there, several players were talking to Rashad Jones on the sideline, Andre Branch, Cameron Wake, and several others. And we're all still trying to figure out what's going on. Yes, some semi-animated discussions happening when Rashad Jones was talking. But here's the thing. Rashad Jones wasn't pouting. He wasn't sitting in a corner by himself. He was always sitting with the defense whenever they came off the field to review what just happened. During all the interceptions, he was the first one over to congratulate them at the game-stealing interception. Rashad Jones was all smiles on the sideline. I had my eyes on him the entire time. After the game, we go down to the locker room. So when, when you're a credentialed member of the media, after the game it was over, or once the game ends, actually, even before the game is beginning to end, everyone starts rushing to the elevators because that's when it's time to go down. So you try to get into the first or second elevator. You get down there. You wait for the Dolphins to open up the locker room for access. But here's the thing. While the locker room is open, Adam Gase is having his press conference at the same time. So you either got to choose between the press conference with Adam Gase or to stay in the locker room with the players. Usually by then, once you start hearing from the quarterback and Cameron Wake, who they bring to the podium every week, then you're able to get into the press conference room and listen to those guys speak. But for Adam Gase, you got to choose either or. So as I'm in a locker room, uh, because we can get the transcript scripts from Gase afterwards, so as I'm in the locker room talking to players, a few other reporters are in the Gase press conference, obviously asking about Rashad Jones. And that's when we got word before we started interviewing players, before they came back from the shower, uh, that Rashad Jones pulled himself out of the game. So we knew right away that that was going to be the topic that we were going to ask everybody, all the reporters. We were all waiting for Rashad Jones. Rashad Jones was nowhere to be found. TJ McDonald comes out of the shower, gets dressed, flooded. His locker is flooded. Um, Questions coming abound about TJ McDonald's play, yes, but then it reverts to Rashad Jones, and his basic answer was, I don't really know what happened. They just knew he was out of the game. Jerome Baker, same thing, except that when I asked him about Rashad Jones, he said that Rashad Jones wouldn't pull himself out for no reason at all, that he's a gamer, he's a player. If he wants to uh, play in the game, he's going to play in the game, and he's just not going to pull himself out of the game for no reason at all. 
asked about it at his post-game press conference, basically said any conversations that he had with Rashad Jones would stay between him and Rashad. So the mystery continued to thicken. We went back up to the top of the press box. We uh, tried to keep sorting out the pieces. And then later on in the night, we started getting more and more David Hyde tweeting out and reporting in his article that, you know, Rashad Jones wasn't always the greatest professional, has been freelancing the past few weeks, was planned to come out of the game at certain points as part of the rotation. Minka Fitzpatrick did confirm to me in the locker room that he studied all the positions in the backfield. And basically his brain was fried on Friday from studying so many calls and commands and everything else. So that leads us into Monday's press conference with Adam Gase when he basically inferred that it was Matt Burke's fault, or at least part of it, that Rashad Jones was so upset. Gay said that Jones came up to his office late Sunday night and had a man-to-man talk with him, and Gay said he learned a few things. It, it seemed to imply that there were several things leading up during the week that Rashad Jones was not happy about that Adam Gase was unaware of, and it all came to a boil on Sunday. So that's where we stand right now. I've been trying to piece the puzzles together. I've been trying to sort everything out and it's all led me to the conclusion that Matt Burke is on the hot seat and uh, what happens this weekend will go a long way to determining his future in Miami and what happens even in his meeting with Gase on Monday and Tuesday will go a long way to determining his future in Miami after the bye week. How Sutton, you read it all. You saw it all live. You saw what happened. You've been getting thoughts and reactions on Twitter. Sutton, we'll start with you. Your whole thoughts on this Rashad Jones situation. It's peculiar, and you you think that the Dolphins will probably try to keep this story in-house as much as possible, but with something like this, with one of the leaders on defense, one of the most tenured players on this team, going through this with a coach, as, as many weird things as happened to the Dolphins, this is kind of a unique situation to me. Now, as someone who butted heads with a coach when I played college basketball, and it was a very debilitating experience to have that kind of violation of trust with somebody on the team that's supposed to have your back. And yeah, communication is a really big deal. So if Burke is communicating things in a disrespectful way to a veteran like Rashad Jones, yeah, those things can be kind of taken out. You know, they can kind of, um, they can kind of build like a snowball over time. So I'm hoping that this is something that uh, two men can square away and put this behind. And definitely a story that I don't expect to go away anytime soon. I think, like I said, we're going to try to keep details in-house as much as possible, but I wouldn't be surprised to see some things leak out just to see uh, where where things went wrong here. And if Matthew, if you're you're correct here and you're, seeing that things are kind of uh, airing on the side of Rashad and him taking himself out, which is such kind of a bizarre action for a player to do in game. If he ends up being right, what was it that Burke said or what was the communication style? Was it so corrosive that could cause Rashad to take himself out of the game? I think that's what we have to get to the root to because if we're communicating in a way that's denigrating some of the most accomplished people on this team, then yeah, we need to kind of look at ourselves and see what's going on there. Yeah. And if there was ever a player on this roster that you would, you know, would be the last person you would think he would take himself out of the game, it'd be Rashad Jones. And 
I don't know if you guys listened to Adam Gase's press conference today, but he backtracked from what he said yesterday. I think he went out and said, you know, he took himself out of the game uh, and it wasn't injury related. And then today he wouldn't rule out an injury. He said that him and Rashad had a conversation. He was going to leave it internally. So uh, it it's baffling what happened. And you wonder what was said on the sideline. Like Kanata said, he saw a confrontation, but it wasn't anything too severe. And for Rashad Jones to take himself out of the game after only playing 10 snaps, um, I mean, it was right after that Kiko Alonso interception where Kiko got lit up on the sideline. And uh, there was a video going around on Twitter where Rashad just kind of looks at it and just walks away. And, I mean, I don't know. That's not the Rashad Jones that I know. I, I would at least think he'd go out there and try to defend his teammates. Um, so you don't know what it is. It has to be an underlining issue. And for the Dolphins to take Rashad Jones out of the game in favor of Minka Fitzpatrick, I mean, we all wanted to see Minka get more snaps. But in favor of Rashad Jones, I don't think any of us saw that coming. We did think T.J. McDonald would be the odd man out. You would have liked to see Mink at free safety more so than strong safety. But, I mean, T.J. McDonald had a good game, so you can't really say it was a bad decision. But it all comes down to whether or not this defense is that much better without Rashad in the lineup or if it was just because the Jets are terrible. So a lot of this, things are going to come out in the next few days. We're going to see how the Dolphins perform against a good Green Bay team, a pissed-off Green Bay team. I mean, they're, what, 3-4-1? and one. Their season's hanging on by a thread, and the Dolphins can go to Lambeau and just – put an end to their their hopes and dreams but it, it's going to be interesting to see how things turn out and you got to tip your hat to the mapper because he had 10 days to prepare for the jets he had 10 days to fix that defense and the run defense was much improved and this entire secondary is much improved pass rush was there i mean they won on all a- aspects of that game and you got to tip your hat to matt burke even if it came at the cost of rashad jones on this show we talked about off the air before the trade deadline, our trade deadline special show, Sun actually posed the question to us how it's, and again, it was off the air, not recording at the time. What if the Dolphins traded Rashad Jones? And how it's you and I both at the same time said, absolutely not. Go away. What are you smoking? And then we put it on Twitter for some reaction. But for me, House, I know you stayed to your firm no. And we were texting afterwards when we hung up with each other too and stopped recording. But I started coming around a little bit. I started seeing Sutton's point of view on this. If you get good trade compensation for it, if you think that his contract is going to be crazy the next few years, if you think he's not going to be here past two years from now, trade him. See what you can get. And you see something like what happened on Sunday versus the Jets, and then you start thinking, well, damn, why didn't the Dolphins try to trade him? And maybe they did. Maybe they didn't, just couldn't get any good offers out there for him. Maybe they didn't. But things like this make you start wondering. But then Adam Gase comes out on Monday and says, well, it's not really, and he didn't say this directly, but indirectly, it's not really Rashad Jones' fault. It's Matt Burke's fault. And then you're like, okay, so what's going on here? So we're still trying to piece the puzzle together. We have a good idea where this is headed. Just make sure you stay tuned to the Finsider.com and our Twitter feeds for more information over the next few days. Coordinators speak on Thursdays during the week. So we'll find out what Mac Burke has to say. And then, of course, Adam Gay speaks every day except Saturday, which is the day before the game. So stay tuned for more information on that. But as you alluded to, Houts and Sutton, the defense played well on Sunday versus the Jets. And Sutton, I'm going to toss this to you first. But before we get there, you know, Sam Darnold, four interceptions. Isaiah Crowell held to 49 yards on 13 carries. Elijah McGuire held to 30 yards on seven carries. There was, you know, I believe less than 200 passing yards for the Jets. 
it was just a disaster of a day for the Jets offense, which has not been good the past few weeks. But the Dolphins defense hasn't been great either. So what was this force happening? Was it just a uh, thing that was coming along where Jets offense is terrible, which made the Dolphins defense look good? Or did the Dolphins defense really clean up their stuff and make the Jets offense look much worse than it actually is? Sutton, go ahead. I was just going to throw out before we went to the overall defense, just kind of mixing in Barry Jackson's article about Rashad and something that I wasn't aware of at this time that, and if you take this article at face value, then you're realizing that Rashad Jones is coming late to meetings and going off script with, with play calls, something analogous to what Ndamukong Sue was doing, something that wore out of favor with the coaching staff. So we, Again, a lot of details going to emerge on this story. I don't think this story is going to go away anytime soon. But when you're looking at the overall defense and just this game in general, this really reminded me of the Titans game week one, where it was a defensively controlled game by both teams that the Dolphins were just lucky enough to make a few plays off of the turnovers that we got. One obviously directly led to a touchdown. Another one of the field goals that we got was off of Sam Darnold's four interceptions. So I think it was a combination of both. I really do think that we had a better plan for this game, and I think our players played well. I think Kiko played well again. And the pick that he played, I want to make sure I give him some credit because on the past I've been pretty hard on Kiko in terms of plays that happened behind him. I really feel comfortable with Kiko with the plays that happen in front of him where he's able to kind of use his eyes and diagnose things a little bit better when he was playing uh, with plays behind him. I felt like things got a little out of hand for him, but this play that the, the first pick that we got off Sam Darnold, Kiko, you know, they're driving, they're getting ready to score some points and Kiko makes a big play there and kind of shifts the trajectory of that game. So I want to make sure I give him some credit there. But I think it was a combination. When we talked to our, our gangrene nation guy last week, we had talked about just the lack of separation that the Jets wide receivers were able to get versus Chicago Bears. And you saw that same story play out against the Dolphins. Granted, they're a little bit healthier at the wide receiver position. They did have Robbie Anderson back for that game and who has made some plays against us in the past. But we were able to uh, have a nice interplay with that pass rush and the and the coverage and when those two things are clicking, it's it's a really nice thing because, and maybe the Jets is the antidote for our our pass rushing uh, lack there, just because two of our better pass rushing games have been against the Jets, and it just seemed like we were pretty disciplined with our pass rushing angles. We weren't uh, creating a stereotypical pocket a lot. We were doing some twists and stunts. We were bringing guys from different places. So I felt like we had a really good pass rush design. And then the the guys in the secondary were doing their job. Despite Rashad not being out there, what you saw was making TJ McDonald, as down as we've been on him the last few weeks, I thought he played a really good game this Sunday. So you saw Xavier play well. You saw Bobby McCain make a few plays. We probably left another two or three interceptions on the field, despite the fact that we got four. There was a couple opportunities to get a couple more there. So just making Sam Darnold uncomfortable out there. And one thing that I did like against Chicago when the Jets played them is Sam Darnold as lack of a separation that his wide receivers would get. I thought he moved around in the pocket pretty well. And against the Dolphins on Sunday, I think we just made him consistently uncomfortable 
and uh, we dominated the, the trenches. And you see what happens when you get good trench play. Uh, you know, we'll get to the offense later. So it's kind of a vice versa effect there. Our trenches were not good on offense, but on defense, four sacks, four interceptions. It's really hard to complain about what the defense did. Yeah, and you're not going to know whether it was a bad Jets team or if it was just, you know, a much improved Dolphins defense. Sam Darnold, he is a rookie quarterback, but he showed those glimpses of being, you know, the future in the NFL. And the Dolphins went out there and he was just completely lost. He threw four interceptions. Uh, you got to tip your hat off to the linebackers because that's been our Achilles heel for a couple seasons. They're ter- they've been terrible or just very not good in coverage. And, I mean, Kiko Alonso had a nice pick. Jerome Baker had that pick six. I mean, both their plays were they just – they were in the right place at the right time. And, sure, the Kiko interception was just well-timed by him. Jerome Baker, it looked like it could was a little bit underthrown by Sam Darnold. But, nonetheless, those guys were in the right spot. And they were – you know, they were shut down in coverage, and Raekwon McMillan looked good against the run. I mean, he's starting to come along. And then you got the pass rush. It's something that's been non-existent over the first few weeks of the season. Cam Wake had two sacks. Akeem Spence had two sacks. I mean, it just seemed like the entire defense started to click. And as much as you don't want to see Rashad Jones sitting out or taking himself out of a game, T.J. McDonald played great. And, I mean, I've been hard on T.J. McDonald. I always make fun of him and say that he's – you know, a liability in coverage, as in my opinion, Rashad Jones is. I think Minka Fitzpatrick's the best coverage safety on the team, and you saw a little bit of that this this past Sunday. But T.J. McDonald went out there and took care of business. So you kind of see, you know, if Miami does move on from Rashad Jones, like Sutton brought up last week, it was kind of just thrown out there. But I've looked it up. He's set to make about seventeen million next year. That's his salary. So I mean, that's a lot of money for a guy who, you know. You don't know why he took himself out of the game, but he still did. And, I mean, he's a leader of this ball ball team. He's something you don't want to see. So who knows what the Dolphins will do with him moving forward. But TJ McDonald looked good. Minka looked good. Xavier Howard was shut down. Bobby McCain started to come back around. I'm not sure if they ever came out and said what was wrong with Robert Quinn. Did he come back in that game? I'm not really sure because last I saw he was hurt on the field and it was a pretty big blow to that Dolphins pass rush. So, Overall, I think it's going to be more that the Jets are not very good and the Dolphins, you know, they made some some fixes in those 10 days they had to, to pull things back together. But against an Aaron Rodgers next weekend, I mean, I don't know how they're going to go out there and have the same kind of success because he's mad. Aaron Rodgers is upset. That entire Packers team is upset, and they're going to Lambeau. It, it could be a bloodbath. You hope the Dolphins go out there and do what they did this week, but uh, I just don't see it happening. Robert Quinn did come back in the, into the game, and I had my eyes on him during that last drive where Sam Darnold was trying to tie the game up. And his pass rush was absolutely ferocious on that last drive. The dude, motor, it would not stop. He was just moving guys back, disrupting the pocket, and played a role in Sam Darnold throwing that interception after he was flushed away from the pocket. So Robert Quinn had a good game yesterday. Cameron Wake had a great game as well. Defense as a whole... Had a very good game, but like as everyone's saying, even Adam Gase said, Aaron Rodgers is not the same dude as Sam Darnold, or Sam Darnold is not the same dude as Aaron Rodgers. Whatever way you want to look at it, the Dolphins will have their hands full this coming Sunday at Lambeau Field. Let's switch to the other side of the ball. Let's go to the offense. But I want to save the Kenyon Drake talk for the In Our View segment. I want to dive into that and kind of really just get our uh, three opinions on that. We could have done our view segment with Rashad Jones or Kenyon Drake, but it seems the Rashad Jones issue will be resolved this week. It doesn't seem like the Kenyon Drake issue is going to be resolved anytime soon. 
So we're going to say that for the end of the show. Offense as a whole, again, struggling. They're ranked towards the bottom of the league in every major offensive category. Brock Osweiler has regressed to the mean. The Dolphins receivers are not showing up. They're inconsistent. Kenny Stills limited because of the groin injury. Looked great in pregame warmups. Watched him run all his routes. While ESPN was reporting that he was going to be out, I'm sitting in the press box with Lisa Johnson of our turf football, and we're saying there's no way this dude is going to be out for the game. He is running his routes nice and crisp on the field. Sure enough, he was ruled active and played in the game. Devontae Parker, after having that huge game against the Texans where the Dolphins said they specifically game plans for him, didn't show up really. One reception, eight yards. Jakeem Grant didn't get a lot of run. Danny Amendola, your leading receiver. Danny Amendola is a possession receiver, just like Jarvis Landry. He's not going to move your offense down the field, down the field, down the field. Mike Gazicki, absent. Nick O'Leary, absent. Brock Osweiler missing a wide-open Danny Amendola for an t- easy touchdown. This offense, supposedly Adam Gase's baby, supposedly Adam Gase, the offensive mastermind, don't know what's going on. The offense was actually better under Joe Philbin than it is under Adam Gase. So what I want to turn this question into and this discussion about the offense is, is it because Adam Gase is being held back by the quarterback and he is just tailoring the offense to what they can and can't do, which I think may be the case, or is Adam Gase really not an offensive mastermind and Peyton Manning was the guy who made him look so good in Denver? And I know we've all talked about it before on the show, in terms of Adam Gase giving up play calling duties. And I am still a firm believer that he should hand those over to Dowell Loggins. And even though Dowell Loggins got a bad rap in Chicago, I think with Adam Gase having inputs into both offense and defense will create a more balanced team moving forward. How's your thoughts on the offense as a whole? Remembering that we're saving Kenyon Drake for the end of the show. I mean, they've been they've been terrible. I mean, you brought in Adam Gase to be this quarterback whisperer that you hear so much about, a guy who can at least run a competent offense, and it just hasn't showed up. I mean, his in-game game planning has been atrocious. The first few plays of a game each and every week have been terrible. So it's hard to say whether or not he's, you know, trying to do too much on the offensive side of the football, or maybe, you know, he is trying to get his nose in with the defense and the special teams, and maybe that's why the offense is struggling. But, I mean, you got Brock Osweiler out there, and we've said it before. I mean, he's – a He's done a pretty darn good job. I mean, no one expects the Dolphins to be where they're at right now. And, I mean, you got to tip your hat to him for going out there and limiting mistakes and running the offense the way it should be. But it's just frustrating to see how an offensive guru, a guy that you brought in here to be, you know, Stephen Ross around a young Shula. Well, he's absolutely not a young Shula. And his play calling in key situations, his personnel decisions, I mean, we'll talk about it later. But it's just head scratching. and You just don't know what it is. You don't know if it's – just, you know, he's the first-time head coach, and he does seem to have this ego thing to him. You know, he, he has these guys who maybe don't agree with him, so he ships them off elsewhere despite them being star players. And it's just Adam Gase. It's just who he is. He's It's his personality, and it's what the Dolphins got when they, when they decided to bring him in as head coach. But overall, this offense needs to do a lot better if this team wants to be in the playoff hunt towards the end of the season. I think the Dolphins would be much better off right now if Ryan Tannehill could get healthy, but – I know a report came out today. He's still not looking very good. I mean, they're starting to say now that maybe even after the bye, it's still in question whether or not he's going to be ready. So it's it's frustrating. You have a year where you just had Jay Cutler, and now you have Brock Osweiler as your your quarterback, and somehow the Dolphins are still 5-4. and four. 
Uh, defense steps up when the offense is terrible. Earlier in the year when the offense was lights out and, you know, they had all those creative plays against Oakland, the defense was nowhere to be found. I mean, they just can't get on the same page and both sides of the football play well. I mean, I know in Gase's press conference today, he came out and said that he's going to have more of a say in the defense and he's going to be more in that room. So you don't know if him getting away from that, maybe giving a guy like Dal Loggins a little bit more control, maybe that will be better off moving forward. But I think uh, they got to go out there and they got to do something against Green Bay. You got to see that creative team, more of that Kalen Balaj wildcat. I mean, you just got to do things to throw them off because Green Bay, despite what their record is, they're one of the better teams in football. And the Dolphins, they can win that game. I mean, then they head into the bye six and four. That's a lot different than being five and five. So I think, I think going out there in Lambeau and at least being competitive is all you can ask for from this offense. Go out there and establish a run have that receiving core, like you said, that's banged up. Offensive line, I mean, we're waiting now for Jawan James and Laramie Tunsil, two of the better tackles in football, to find out what their injury status is. I mean, it's just one injury after another. Uh, it, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I'm sitting here saying all these things about Adam Gase, and you look at all the, the injuries that he's had to overcome, and it's starting to make me backpedal a bit because what head coach in the NFL can battle through those different types of injuries. I mean, Josh sitting earlier in the year, Kilgore, your starting center, the guards, the tackles in and out of games. I mean, many teams would just fold and the Dolphins right now are five and four. So I think you got to look at that as a, you know, a glass half full kind of guy and kind of see, you know, what Dolphins, they're still in this despite all the odds against them. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think Adam Gase needs to do some of this play calling, become more creative like we've seen and just overall get that team back on track because after the Green Bay game, they got that bye, and that's going to be crucial for the end of the season. Yeah, Houts, you mentioned just the inability to get a complete interdependent football team on a Sunday. You know, we'll have games where the offense clicks, the defense doesn't. We'll have games where the defense clicks, the offense doesn't. We'll have games where neither one click. And we've seen that play out, but we haven't seen a game where really all phases, all three phases, offense, defense, special teams, working in combo with each other. As terrible as the Jets' offense was on Sunday, they still had 4.4 yards per play, and we had just a hair over three. So our offense was pretty anemic. I don't think you can ignore what's going on in the offensive line. You kind of alluded to it, how it's with Tunsil and James going out going out at different points of the game. But, uh, yeah, having Zach stare up, who didn't have his hair up because he wasn't ready to play, he was a little bit behind. Ted Larson continues to play subpar football. We're getting it – was, it was kind of opposite where the Dolphins were able to get to the Jets on the edge – the Jets were able to penetra- penetrate in the middle and really expose our lack of guard play. And then once Starup came in, they were just kind of uh, grinding out sacks against him. It, he wasn't ready for anything after a first move. He had no counter move ability. So all, all they did was, was make one move, make a counter move, and they were at Brock Osweiler. So uh, the offense was poor. We've talked about case and the play calling and stuff you know it's it's kind of hard to separate those variables in a game like this with so many different players playing it's inconsistently on offense it's one of those games where you wonder what is it that we could draw up and have it be effective what i think was clear is that the jets came in coming and wanting to make miami one-dimensional which they did we were very poor at rushing the ball. We weren't able to get anything going. I know we'll get to the Drake Gore thing 
here in a minute. Uh, but it just seemed like we were kind of trying to force uh, a square into a round hole and just couldn't get uh, creative early enough. We mentioned the, the Kalen Bollage and the Wildcat, and he had a good play, ended up unfortunately getting called back due to a penalty. But it looked like we did have some wrinkles there with, that we wanted to bring out. We just weren't able to time it up without making a penalty. So it looked like there was a, at least some attempts to have a creative spark in that game plan there and throughout the game and just kind of uh, adjusting to what the Jets were showing us. But the Jets came out heavy at the line of scrimmage, and they're saying, hey, Brock Osweiler beat us, and it almost worked for them. Now, I, I think where it's really limiting the playbook and what's showing to be true over time is that Brock really does have a, a tough time getting the ball down the field. His deep passes seem to go way over the players' heads more often than not. That, to me, means that he's scared to throw the ball down the field because if you're throwing it that far in advance, you're really scared of making an interception. You just have to give your players a chance to make a play on those balls, and it's not like they're just out of the outstretched hands of the wide receivers. They are sometimes five to ten yards beyond where the wide receiver's route is going. So you just you have to have better downfield production or teams are going to start teeing off on the east and west, west coast principles sort of things. And that's what you're seeing teams do is, is creeping up, daring us to, to pass the ball deep, and we're just not able to do it. In our view. And now for our segments of In Our View. And for those who have not been really listening to the podcast, for those tuning in recently, the In Our View segment is where we really just give a deep dive thought and um, what we would do in this situation of whatever the topic may be. And this week's segment is going to feature Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore. And Adam Gase, ever since the Cincinnati Bengals game, has been featuring Gore as the main back with Drake coming in to spell him and to be basically the back out of the coming out to receive the passes. Great concept in theory, poor execution, at least I think. And there's been a lot of back and forth on social media, on articles. All the reporters are talking about it. Adam Gase continues to defend it. In his press conference on Monday, he was asked again about the wide discrepancy of carries between Gore and Drake, Gore getting 20, Drake getting three, and why that happened. And Gase said, point Blake, listen, we want to get Drake the ball more. But when we wanted to, when his number was called, the Jets had the ideal coverage for it. So we had to check out of it and go somewhere else. When they wanted to get the ball in Drake's hands as a catcher, the Jets again had ideal coverage on Drake and basically took him out of the game. Gay said that Drake understands this and is on board with the team's plan going forward and has been. Frank Gore, meanwhile, is ageless, 35 years old. According to PFF, he has an overall grade of 79.8. This ranks seventh among all running backs through nine weeks. Against the Jets, Frank Gore had 53 yards rushing. 44 of them came after contact. For this season, 303 of Gore's 438 rushing yards have come after contact, which is 
while Kenyon Drake has racked up 57% of his rushing yards after contact. So when you look at it in a vacuum like that, as those stats, Frank Gore is obviously the better running back. Frank Gore at 35 years old, 104 carries for 438 yards, 4.2 yards per carry. You look at a guy like David Johnson, 26 years old, 122 carries for 394 yards, 3.2 yards per carry. Again, Frank Gore, ageless. Adam Gase a few weeks ago said the reason why he likes Gore is because Gore always seems to get positive yardage. And while he understands that Drake can hit a home run, with that possibility also comes a big risk of losing yards because Drake does try to do too much at times and tries to break it open. Frank Gore, on the other hand, sees the hole, crashes the hole, and gets what he can. And the Dolphins are able to get positive yardage. Indeed, almost every time that Frank Gore touches the ball, he's getting three or four yards. And then it seems to falter with the quarterback position, not finding an open receiver, or just the coverage being too tight on the receivers because they cannot get open. So you look at those stats, you look at Gase's explanation of it, and you're like, okay, I get it. But then you look at the offense struggling so bad. And you're trying to say, well, how can we spark this up? Prior to the game where Albert Wilson got hurt against the Lions, you would say, get it in Albert Wilson's hands. Make something happen. That little spark, right? It's almost like when coaches are stubborn to replace their starting quarterback. And when they do replace their starting quarterback, that team gets a spark. While that spark may not last over the next few games, because everyone regresses to the mean eventually, it may provide enough of a spark for the offense to get their wheels back on track, so to speak. So for me, if I'm head coach Adam Gase and I'm looking to do something different, and even though we know Gase probably won't be doing anything different, it's it's still tough for me because I see where he is coming from, but I also see the other side where you're trying to make something happen. I, I don't think it could hurt because – I think the Dolphins gained something like or only ran 12 plays in the second half or fourth quarter, whatever it, what, it, what it was. It was absolutely dreadful. I think the last three or four drives was three and outs. So it can't be. It cannot be any worse at all. I'd like to see Drake be the featured back starting, Frank Gore coming in to spell him, and Frank Gore being that short yardage guy, three, four yards, one yard, two yards, where Drake is coming out of the backfield on first and second down, receiving rushing Houts, if you're adam gase if you're looking to make changes what's your approach to this yeah this was kind of the reason i was so upset after that game i mean the dolphins won yes but the reason i was most upset is because you have a guy who's what 35 years old yes he's been playing a hell of a season he's done well for miami and he's kind of that change of pace back to what drake is but 20 carries to three that's just that's just inexcusable and I get Adam Gase came out and, you know, he said some of those plays that were designed for him to carry the football, Kenyon Drake, it just wasn't there, like you said. And they're trying to get him more involved in the passing game. I know he's trying to take on that role left behind by Albert Wilson a little bit. But at the end of the day, Kenyon Drake is the most explosive player in that backfield. He might even be the most explosive player on that offense right now. And to just give him seven touches in a game, I mean – that's that's inexcusable, and it, it all came in the first half. So, I mean, in that entire second half, Kenyon Drake did not touch the football, and I get that he was in there to help him with pass protection. I get that Frank Gore, you know, he's the guy who gets the positive yardage every time. But at the end, of, he was still only averaging 2.7 yards per carry. So you had a guy who you gave 20 carries to who was only averaging 2.7 yards in a game where your offense scored zero touchdowns. So something wasn't working there, and for him to not sit there and, you know, let's, let's give Kenyon Drake a chance. Let's get him on the outside, let him be – beat it to the outside, get beat some of those defenders 
to the edge and use his legs, use his speed to make a play. They, they just completely abandoned that. They didn't give him the opportunities. And for me, that's it's frustrating. I was a JGI guy. When he was shipped away, I became a Kenyon Drake guy. And I do think that the offense goes through the run game. And I know the offensive line being banged up kind of skewed that a little bit. But to, to give Frank Gore all those carries, I mean, up until this point, they were doing pretty well. I mean, they were both kind of getting the same amount. He was right. He was doing what he said he would do and kind of split it down the middle. But, I mean, seven touches for Kenyon Drake, 24-year-old Kenyon Drake, Again, probably your best player on offense. That's the reason the Dolphins' offense didn't score a touchdown, in my opinion. And if they want to have success against Green Bay or any of the teams on the remaining schedule, they need to get him more involved because there's just no reason to have a player with that skill set and that talent just ride in the pine because, you know, okay, Frank Aurier does everything that you ask him. He's that vet who just doesn't age, and he's, you know, the blue-collar guy, the guy who you just want every player to evolve into. But – He's not the same Frank Gore he once was, and he's going to go down as one of the greatest running backs in NFL history. But in 2018, Kenyon Drake's the better running back, in my opinion, and you got to find a way to get him the football. Seven touches, that's the reason the Dolphins had zero touchdowns, and they got to do something about that if they want to you know, make a playoff push late in the year. Yeah, this is a tricky phenomenon to figure out because we really noticed the discrepancy in touches in the Cincinnati game. And ironically enough, that was a game that Kenyon Drake was targeted like 10 to 15 times in the passing game. So I really do think what the plan was, was to have Kenyon Drake emerge as a pass catcher this year. And we, we've seen it in a few games, but in this game, I believe he had uh, four or five catches and was targeted about nine times in the passing game. So in a game where the Jets came and really tried to make us one dimensional and, and force us to pass the ball. It's not terrible from a game planning perspective to have Kenyon Drake with a, a depleted wide receiver core really try to spruce things up there. The seven to one ratio and rushing attempts doesn't make much sense. It really doesn't. I wanted to throw a question out to you guys, and maybe this is just me being a crazy, jaded, cynical Dolphins fan. But when you look at 2017 and the way Kenyon Drake emerged in the last part of the year, arguably one of the best running backs in football from a production standpoint and just a highlight reel standpoint as well. I mean, the guy was the real deal. Do you think there's any credibility, any possibility that the Dolphins coaching staff came into this year not really wanting to fully unveil Kenyon Drake until towards the end of the season? I mean, I think it's a possibility. You you mentioned he was one of the best running backs in football, if not the best from a statistical standpoint, towards the end of the last season. So, I mean, Adam Gase has done dumber things, right? I mean, it's if, if they I mean, continue to have success like they've been, I mean, is it really that foolish to think that a Kenyon Drake healthy in the last, you know, four to six games or even after the bye when defenses are kind of worn down and injured, I mean – he'd go out there and do what you would expect him to have done last season at the same time. So, I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's not crazy, but yeah. So really just like thinking of Kenyon Drake, that the first half of the season, really trying to get him into Alvin Kamara, a true pass catching type running back role. And with that focus towards the, the first half of the season, and then with the understanding, like, Hey, we're going to kind of grind Frank Gore the first half of the year. And then, you know, he's old, so hopefully we're going to have this young buck really step up 
towards the final half of the season and really take over the running game. Now, it remains to be seen, and some astute people have been watching the All-22, been watching the tape, and noticing that Kenyon Drake doesn't always take what's there. So it might be a little bit of both things. It might be a little bit, hey, let's keep Kenyon Drake fresh till towards the end of the season. We're going to kind of make a playoff run. But it's also, hey, Frank Gore's a vet, and he's got great vision. That's been one of his things throughout his career. Frank Gore's always had great vision. He's able to get those six to 10 yard chunks for his team. So possibly Kenyon Drake is behind on that front because he is still looking for the home run ball. But I did want to ignore the possibility of us kind of shelving him a little bit more from a rush attempt standpoint. I'm not ignoring the fact that he's been heavily involved in the passing game, but limiting some of the carries at least in the first half of the season to make sure that he's fresh because we've seen what a fresh Kenyon Drake can do at the end of the season. This conversation will not stop. It will go on the next few weeks, perhaps the rest of the season. If the Dolphins offense was thriving, there'd be no talk about this. But the fact is the Dolphins offense is not thriving, not one bit. So there is a talk about let's try to change things up. Let's try to spike it up. Let's try to get Kenyon Drake a playmaker of the ball because it seems like every time he touches the ball, in space and whatever, he seems to make a good play, sometimes a game-changing play. We'll see what they do moving forward against the Packers. Yes, the Jets' defense is good. Yes, it's a division rival, so the games are always tougher. But remember also the Dolphins will be going into the month of December soon. And with that comes weather that's more suitable for running the football. While they don't have many cold weather games, they got the Packers this weekend. They got the Bills coming up in Buffalo. They do have Minnesota, but that will be in a dome. Indianapolis is in a dome. Then they got the games down in Miami. So it's not like they have a ton of cold weather games coming up, but it's also better to start getting that running game moving with both Gore and Drake because if they want any shot of the playoffs, they're not going to be hosting a home game because they're not winning the division. So they're going to be traveling on the road. And you know, looking at right now, and it's way too early to start talking playoffs, Dolphins have a lot of work to do. Bless us for ha-has. You know, look at the board, and you know, Patriots are probably getting the one seed. Uh, the Chiefs also in the hunt for the one seed, so they're going to get one and two. Then you're looking at either the Steelers or the Bengals being the division leader in the AFC North. You're looking at the AFC South. You're probably looking at the Texans, which is a dome. Then you're looking at the AFC West, which would be their division leader, which would be the Chiefs, so they get the bye. So you might be going up to Cincinnati or Pittsburgh to play that first playoff game, and you're going to need to learn how to run the football. Dolphins need to figure it out, how to get them both carries, how to get them both touches, and do it the right way. Anything else before we wrap up the special edition of Finsider Radio? Houts. No, man, just get together, go out there, and at least be competitive against Green Bay. That's all we ask. I don't know if any of us think they're going to win this game, but you just don't want to go out there and do what they did against Houston because that would be very demoralizing heading into the bye week, and it would give a lot of us – do you know how awful Twitter would be for the next two weeks if they went out there and just got shit stomped? I'm not ready for that. Yeah, you know, the Dolphins are weird. Everybody knows that. Anybody that's followed this team for a while has known that the Dolphins are super weird. One of the things we're known for is we will 
beat a possible Super Bowl contender and then we'll lose to the worst team in the NFL. And I've been in the stands at Lambeau watching a mediocre Dolphins team go and beat the Packers at Lambeau the same year they won the Super Bowl. So I've seen some weird things happen. When you're looking at the rest of the season, basically if we can sweep Buffalo, then you're looking at can we go three and two in the five games that involve at Green Bay facing at Indianapolis after a bye. Then you have New England at home at Minnesota and home against Jacksonville. Can we go three and two in those games? It remains to be seen. I'm again, a jaded cynical Dolphins fan. I'm going to assume that we're headed for eight and eight purgatory until told otherwise, but we are going to show up and cheer our butts off for this team. Just a few other notes going back to defense. Minka Fitzpatrick, I believe, played just about 100% of the snaps, which is what needs to happen, and dude handled it like a pro. I talked to him in the locker room after the game. I talked to him after the Raiders game. The dude is an absolute pro. You could not tell he was a rookie. Very mature for being a rookie in the NFL and being so young. Very well-spoken, very smart, very intelligent. He has a bright future ahead of him. Jerome Baker coming along nicely in this NFL in his rookie season. I asked him about all the draft Knicks who said he may be too small to play in the NFL. He said, thanks for the motivation. And he had the game ball yesterday. The dude was holding it the entire post game. He would not let it go. He was an absolute joy to talk to. Kiko Alonso had a great game, has having a great season, an all pro season, in my opinion, definitely a pro bowl season at the very least interception coming right to him. I asked him about that interception. He said, you know, sometimes those are the hardest ones where it comes right at you. And Kiko said, basically, he couldn't believe that it was coming right at him. He got laid out on the sideline, and I asked him what that felt like. And he said, you know, I got the sh knocked out of me. He goes, it was not fun. But he got up. He was smiling. He continued to play at a high level. And he has been great this season as he is now trusting the guys around him to make the plays that they're assigned to make. Again, overall, great day for the defense. Great day for special teams. Terrible day for the offense. But sometimes that happens in the NFL, and you take a win when you can get it. Even though I've seen people upset about the win, it, that doesn't make sense to me. The NFL is hard. You're playing a division rival. Regardless of style points, regardless of whatever it is, there is no asterisk in the standings of this win. There is no asterisk that says the Dolphins offense played terrible. There is no asterisk on the Rams record either saying they put up whatever it was, 35 points, I believe it was, and lost in a shootout. A loss is a loss. A win is a win. You take a win when you can get it in the NFL. We'll be back later this week with a preview of the Green Bay Packers game. Dolphins head as a Lambeau field. Temperatures expected to be in the low 30s, high 20s. Great day for football with Brock Osweiler, once again, the starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. Stay tuned to the Finsider.com and our Twitter accounts for more updates on Rashad Jones and the team during the week. And be back here later in the week for another episode of Finsider Radio. For Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton, I am Matt Kanata. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio. We will talk to you next time. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins.
all from gold to gold like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking super cool, cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Everybody, Miami Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Karis Fisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.